Our reading for tonight is from the book of Job, chapter 38, verse 22. Have you entered the treasury of snow? Or have you seen the treasury of hail? You may be seated. As you may know, my favorite of the 66 books that are included in God's library is the book of Job. It's my favorite uh, because I see a guy who <clears throat> seemingly had it all together and then had his entire world turned upside down and managed to keep things together. He showed himself uh, and his character very well. And it is from Job chapter number 38 as God is explaining to Job, I really didn't need you when I was creating everything, that he said these words. Have you considered the treasure of the snow? What an interesting idea that God would ask to this man in the Middle East. I, I, I've never been to the Middle East, but I'm going to expect that it doesn't snow very much. But there are some treasures that are found within the snow. Have you guys gotten any snow here lately? In Alabama, if somewhere in the entire state there is enough snow to make a footprint, we shut everything down. That's the way God intended it. And for some reason here, we have 14 to 18 inches and people drive past my house like there's nothing on the road. I have lived through a couple of larger snowstorms. Um, this past week was fun, up till about day two. <laughs> then the girls wanted to go anywhere else. There are some treasures that are found still melting outside of our door right now. And as you and I look at this idea of snow tonight, um, we're going to notice three things. Let's, let's start here. Do you know the word snow is mentioned some 24 times in the Bible? It's mentioned uh, 21 times in the Old Testament and three times in the new, that is if you're looking at the King James Version. Snow is used to reinforce the idea of purity. And also in these 24 times, snow is recorded as a weather event. In 2 Samuel chapter 23 and verse number 20, God speaks about the time when the snow falls. And in 2 Kings chapter 5, he speaks about digging a pit at the time of snow. And in Proverbs chapter 31 and verse number 21, when that, that virtuous woman is being spoken of, in verse 21, uh, there the Proverbs writer would say about her, uh, she doesn't cringe as she steps in the snow. She's not afraid of, of that kind of work. And as you and I look at snow, since we've been looking at that all week, uh, we can find it in the Bible, and we can find how God uses snow uh, to, to make points with us several times. First of all, look at this. When you see snow, the weather event, 
you should see the very power of God. Grab your Bible and turn over to Psalm chapter number 19 in verse number 1. Here's what you'll read. This is a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Now, generally, we in Arkansas see the handiwork of God via the firmament by thunderstorms, uh, lightning storms, those kinds of things that show us the might and the majesty and the power of God. But this week, God has shown us his power in his cycle that he created in Genesis chapter 1. Snow happens when the temperature of the air is freezing or below from the clouds to the ground. Found that out this week. Sleet happens when it's hotter up top than it is down below and it comes down wet and freezes. Found that out this week. Wonder why that does that. I wonder who put that in motion. Perhaps it just, it, it just evolved that way. That's incorrect. As a matter of fact, as we continue through this idea of seeing the power of God via the means of snow, we'll find out that it's more than just the way things evolved. It is in Psalm chapter 147 and verse number 16 where the psalmist mentions the snow and the handiwork of God. There is a beauty in snow. And there is Job chapter 38 and verse 22. There is a treasure in snow. Do you know what the treasure in snow is, by the way? The treasure in snow is nitrogen. Nitrogen falls to the ground. It, it uh, replenishes the nitrogen in the earth. It makes our vegetables in the spring grow better and in the summer grow better. It makes your grass in the, don't, I'm sorry to say this to you, in the spring grow better. Because of the way God has created things, he has now decided that snow will now uh, refertilize his earth because it contains nitrogen. God's creation was designed from Genesis chapter 1 to work together. The, these anomalies that happen with us that, that we are not prepared for in Hot Springs, Arkansas, work for our benefit. Oh, they're fun, and, and it's fun to go sledding down hills and hit people with, with snowballs. It may not be as much fun to be hit by those. But there's a benefit for us as people when it snows. First, it shows us the very power of God. Snow helps farmers, as we mentioned, as it brings down that nitrogen. It also kills bugs and bacteria. It refreshes the soil. Proverbs chapter 25 and verse number 13. By the way, did you know there was this much science in the Bible? <laughs> the Bible's not a science book. The Bible's not a geography book. The Bible's not a history book. But where it touches all of those things, it's 100% accurate. It helps those farmers. It builds up our water table. We have a problem, in, uh, at least in my neighborhood. Do you have this same problem where your yard looks like this? We call that growing rocks. Do you all do that whenever it rains? You know why that is? The slope is too great. You can't slow the water down enough for it to stop erosion. 
and the earth almost screams out for that moisture. Snow is the direct opposite. Instead of running down the hill very quickly and taking some dirt with it and exposing some rock or some minerals, it piles up. And as you can look out of our doors and windows right now, now we've gotten to the ugly part of snow, you know, where it's all pushed over and it's all brown looking and kind of gross and now you see some sprigs of grass through it. Well, that snow has piled up and has begun to melt slowly into our water table. It stacks and soaks in instead of running off very quickly. There is a benefit to snow. Notice this. Snow insulates the ground. Uh, uh, Snow tends to keep the the ground temperature somewhere around 20 degrees warmer uh, than the, the outside temperature. Where are they? Our igloo builders. There they are. You know, you can get inside that igloo and and have a fire and and be relatively warm, which is completely different than how we think about it. Why? Because that house is made out of ice. You shouldn't just be warm. Oh, it's a a barrier. It it guards against permafrost, which which would kill off plants instead of helping those plants. Snow protects smaller animals as they run in and out of their burrows from from those larger animals that would be prey. They have an opportunity to go through that snow instead of over that snow. Falling snow cleanses the air, by the way. It is an excellent air purifier. Anybody have allergies? You know, I didn't have allergies till I went to Alabama this last time. I, I think I might be allergic to home. Snow purifies the air. Snow, uh, how does it do that? Because it's a design of God himself. Notice as you look at the idea of snow, not as a weather event found within the Bible, that snow deals with the purity of, of man. I'd like for you to turn to Psalm 51 and and notice this idea with me. In Psalm 51, we are met face to face with a man by the name of David who is still, for, for lack of better terms, unable to let go of guilt. He has been forgiven by God. Who he's not been forgiven by is David. He's going to have to let that go sometime. And in Psalm 51 and verse 7, this is what he writes. Purge me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. There was a time in front of your house and a time in front of my house when those little animals, both two-legged and four-legged, made it outside that that was a perfectly white blanket of snow, wasn't it? David said, if you will wash me, not only will I be as white as that snow, I will be whiter than that snow. An interesting side note that I don't think David knew or understood about precipitation. 
all forms of it. When he says the idea whiter than snow, you know there's a scientific principle behind that. Uh, what makes water drop in any form out of clouds is dust. And so within every drop of water or flake of snow or would it be pellet of sleet? I don't know what you would call that thing, that hard thing that hits you in the head. Within all of those things is the tiniest amount of dust. And so while it might look almost all the way pure, there's still just a little bit of dirt. And David would say, if you will wash me, not only would I be as clean as snow, but I would be whiter than snow. Which makes me ask the question of myself, am I that white? Would I have God and, and say to God, if you will wash me, I will be whiter than snow. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to 1 Peter chapter number 1. 1 Peter chapter number 1. Here's what you'll read, beginning in verse 18 and 19. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversations received by the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without spot, without blemish, without any imperfections. Can I look at God and say to him, I want to be this white. You make me this white. You do that work because it is only his work that will make us that white. The simple answer is, yes, you can. The more complex answer is, but how? Well, it begins in John 8 and verse number 24, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. That would be Jesus speaking of himself and speaking of himself in the fashion, in the same fashion in which God would speak of himself as he was driving the nation of Israel out of Egypt. When Moses would come back and say, who am I supposed to tell them sent me? And God would say, you tell them I am sent you. Jesus would say in John chapter 8 and verse number 24, unless you believe that I am that same word that would describe deity, unless you believe that I am, you'll die in your sins. When you and I look at Acts chapter 17 and verse number 30, we see that at the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to be saved. He just sort of winked at it and swept it under the rug as if it didn't exist. I think we've looked at this a few times. And it's an unfortunate translation in the King James Version of winked at. The idea is to look over the top of. God would, from the point in time in which history started, throughout the history of man, look over the top of that, seeing all of the decay and all of the corruption that man would provide for himself, and see that cross and say, that day's coming in which man will be brought back to me. 
He didn't sweep it under the rug. He would look at that cross. And he knew just as well as you and I know that that blood flows forward for us, that it would flow black, backward also. You want to be this pure? Adopt the attitude found in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. For with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Would you be willing to confess that Jesus is the Christ? You know, sometimes we, we hear that statement and we say, yes, I would. This is not a one-time deal. This is a life of confession that Jesus is the Christ. This is a life that to be lived in front of people so that they will know and understand that I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Acts chapter 8 and verse number 37. That Ethiopian eunuch said it. And I am fully convinced from that day left there, went to Ethiopia and lived it. Would you be willing to be baptized in water? Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. Know you not, as so many of us as were baptized into Christ, were baptized into his death. Acts chapter 2, it's verse number 38. Peter would say that God would require man repent and be baptized. Jesus would say in Mark chapter 16 and verse 16, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not will be condemned. Is it important? Yes. Is it more important than any of the other four? Or the, the other four along with it? No. Baptism does not save man exclusively. But it is that last piece of the puzzle that completes God's plan of salvation for man on this side of eternity and has us stand before him whiter than snow. Whiter than snow. We look at the idea of the, the purity of mankind. I'd like for you to see the preciousness that's found in snow. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 9. Turn over there with me, if you will. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 9. He says, Peter does, to this group, But ye are a chosen generation a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in times past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had obtained mercy, or had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. And just as well as snow is unique, and beautiful and peaceful, God can look at his children and say, you, just like snow and just like those individual flakes, you are different from everyone else. And you are unique and you are beautiful and you should be peaceful. Think back about a week ago as you were watching it steadily fall down, and quite possibly the same in your living room as was in our living room, where we just sort of giggled and said, when is this going to stop? And as you walk out on that Monday, and 
If it's just white. Everywhere. There's no road to be seen. There's no grass to be seen. There's none of this, none of that. It's just white. It's a stark contrast from the way it is today, isn't it? Where that snow has been violated by the things around it, and that snow is taken on the color of the yuck and the gunk that has been around it as it's been pushed off to the side. Before it was infiltrated with the uh, dirt and the grime and the grit of the road and everything around it, what a beautiful scene that must have been. Can you see God looking at you in that fashion? What you were before you allowed the world to get its way back in there? My weather bug says it was 52 today. I like when numbers at the beginning are five. I really like when the numbers at the beginning are seven. Not zero. With the temperature being about 52, snow turns from very pretty powdery wonderland into a hassle that's ugly and more trouble than it's worth. The problem comes along when I adopt the mindset of today's snow. Not a week ago snow that was beautiful and, and laid out there and, and precious and pure and white. But when I have let the world turn me gray because of its dirtiness and its influence on me. That is something, brethren, you and I must fight against every day because the world will not stop. The world will continue to drive the child of God away from his father. And it really depends on how you respond. See, without hearing his word and believing it without repenting of your sin and confessing that Jesus is the Christ, without baptism, the way God has prescribed those things, I don't find myself in the pure state that is purer, whiter than snow. And without being in that state, I cannot keep it that way. But there came a day for you and a day for me, for most of us sitting here, when we heard what God had to say and we believed those things, when we repented of our sin, confessed that Jesus was the Christ, and allowed ourselves to be baptized into the church for which Jesus Christ gave His blood, where we put on that purity. And we've been fighting the battle of dirty snow ever since. And if you do not fight 
every day to keep your soul pure, it'll end up dirty. It'll end up, well, as Jesus would say to those Laodiceans, Revelation chapter 3, you make me want to throw up. And I'll tell you what, that's not how I want Jesus to see me. I don't want him to see me as gross and disgusting and grace, no. I want him to see me as white and pure and precious in his sight because I've done what he said in order to receive that salvation and I've lived the way he said in order to maintain that salvation. How about you? Have you done those things? Sure, there are plenty of us who have. There may be some of us here who haven't, and, and you need to. You need to do those things because this is a matter of eternal emergency. And if you've done those things, and yet when you look back at your life, you say, this is not as good as it could be. I've done some things that, that God would not be proud of. I've done some things that God has told me, told me not to do. And it's time to come back home. And it's time to do that right now while we stand and sing. When we walk with